0: Welcome back to the Shift Control Podcast. My name is Paul McAnallen, and this episode is a uh, is a follow-up to um, the episode on mindfulness, which is about, I think, at the start of the summer with Frank Liddy. Um, it's kind of back with popular demand. There's a lot of feedback and positive comments from um, people I know and some strangers and uh, who were intrigued. Um, showed showed interest and were intrigued about the whole area of mindfulness so this next podcast is uh, the second conversation with Frank. I really hope you enjoy it. Um, If you need to get in touch with Frank um, he's at aware-ni.org and you can check him up on on Twitter. Um, I think it's Mindfulness Belfast but um, enjoy the podcast and I'll talk to you soon. So, um, Frank, thanks for joining me again, just for everybody that's listening, um, if there's still anybody listening. Um, we've spent the last, I think, maybe hour chatting, and I wish I had recorded that, to be honest, because it was fascinating. And uh, I always really enjoy chatting to you because of uh, this whole area really fascinates me. So um, we were trying to think of what to talk about today because the feedback from the first podcast on mindfulness has been exceptional. Um, the audience, the number of people that have commented to me, the number of people have sent emails that I've never heard of before, are fascinated by the subject. Frank, so I think in credit to to what you had said the last time, um it's there's a lot of people interested in the space out there. So I'm more interested in your journey. So how how um not how did you end up sitting here in front of me, obviously, because uh, that'll be far too easy for you. How did what talk me through this journey from that has had that has you to where you are now and um a knowledge and a, a, a sort of a of force for good in in the area of mindfulness, if that's the best way to describe it. Well, thank you, Paul, and
1: uh, thank you, listeners, uh, for that interest in mindfulness. And I suppose for my interest in mindfulness, it goes away back to the seventies, you know, uh, Belfast and Belfast, what Belfast was like then, you know, now it's like today. Uh, but away back in the seventies, with you know the bomb and the bullets and what was taking place on the streets of Belfast, <clears throat> I remember it was always that type of a, you know, an outsider looking in, and uh, from the outside looking in, you know. There was a certain amount of fear, and with that fear, there'll be a certain amount of trauma and a certain amount of, of stress. So to be honest, you know, looking back to the, the sort of the seventies, I was involved in what would be described as community work, and was working with great people, and they're still around today doing great work, and they've all become sort of leaders in the field of the work that they that they're doing. But what I discovered way back then was, you know, the idea of being able then to listen, people have to listen to people and to what people are saying. As you said earlier on, you wished that you had, you know, taped what we had talked about because there's something about you know then we start to hear and we start to hear our own story as well so way back in the, the 70s late 70s uh i would say you know i had the great fortune of coming in contact with a man from your neck of the woods a place called ben burb and uh Couch that's Grove. the surveyed prairie yeah the surveyed prairie yeah very one and this chap is a guy called Eamon mccreeve and Eamon mccreeve would be a surveyed monk and even taught Uh, counselling and psychotherapy through Queen's University of Belfast. So I've been doing a lot of sort of community work and uh, Eamon became aware of me doing the work that I was doing and as I said, for me it was about how could I listen to, how could I hear what people were saying because I I sort of got that sort of sense that uh, whenever people were able to talk about what they they couldn't talk about, you know, there was a shift that took place. Anyway, I would asked Eamon about uh, his course, would I be eligible to go on this course you know an introduction to counseling and he says he'd welcome me on the course and you know would like to see me on the course and to be honest you know things were bad then you know things were tight money was wasn't you know around that much and Eamon had put me in contact with a lady up at uh, Stormont then about the possibility of getting some type of funding or a grant in order to get on the course and the truth be told I was just too late for to apply for that uh, sum of money but Eamon, through whatever reason that he, he he took that way back then, was able then to get some funds. And yours truly then became involved in counseling and psychotherapy. And I would say that's the real sort of beginning of the journey regarding
0: mindfulness. So just, just to hold, hold that for a second. So what you're bringing together there is... Um psychotherapy is that the free of the word because i get I, I get confused with the labels and titles but you've got this psychotherapy thing going on and then if you go back up to Bamber Urban and the Servite Prairie back in the 1970s and 80s it was a religious sort of outpost for the what what order was it the, the Servite order yeah, right okay so uh, that, that would make sense yeah so the so there's a kind of a, a crossover between uh, conventional and unconventional is that the way?
1: Very much so and you know around that time as you say like we look at the world of psychotherapy you know around that time there was lots of different sort of forms of therapy there was transsexual analysis there was gestalt there was you know a host of uh, you know sort of intergroups taking place but Eamon had sort of put me in the direction of a guy called Basil van der Kuk. and Basil van der Kuk was a guy who was interested in trauma
0: yeah okay
1: so you know Way back then I remember sort of you know, when I was reading the work of Von der the sort of Von der prescription for trauma was mindfulness. So it's not about the word mindfulness away back in the late seventies. So we're talking about here about the late seventies yeah. that sort of like struck a chord with me.
0: So just but even, yeah. even even on that, like so the whole idea that you'd be interested in um, like the trauma then. I, we, we sit here today, we just talked about this beforehand, but if you take a look out to where I'm sitting right now, take a look around the cathedral quarter the cathedral quarter wasn't the cathedral quarter in 1979 1980 it was a driveway for the shankle butcher boys to be running up and down it was a fairly uh, dangerous place to be at night you wouldn't have been there in the day you wouldn't have been there at night mm. um so the the idea that we're trying to reference the word trauma today to the to the late 70s is a difficult one for maybe some people to understand mm. you know because we're life in belfast is absolutely Amazing right now compared to what it was like then. Very much so. And,
1: you know, I mean, I have to give, you know, a big sort of uh, round of applause for the work that Eamon McReeve has done. He started up a group called The Waiter Circle, and The Waiter Circle was was working with people who were traumatised. Now, this is way back then. I would say, I know that someone up in the Stormont had said that Eamon was the mouse with the roar of a lion.
0: Right. Okay. Right. Okay.
1: Because Emma was able to talk about trauma whenever trauma was unable to be talked about away back then, as you can understand. I mean, we talked about everything else but trauma. Well, that, that's the way it is.
0: You you talk about everything else but the problem and and Ireland and certainly the backwater that would be the blackwater way back up there in the day. They wouldn't have been too keen to sit in the pub. Uh, geez, I I don't feel great today. What's wrong with you, big lad? Mm. something happened six weeks ago, but can I talk about it? Like even even today, it's not something you'd associate with that territory so he was very pioneer in many respects i guess
1: very much so and uh as i say i know that you know throughout the world you know when a lot of people sort of like hold him with the high esteem for the work that he's done and the ongoing work that he's doing as well so back to uh back to sort of discovering this word mindfulness and i remember like talking to him about this word mindfulness and where does it come from so mindfulness itself would be a core practice of buddhism so way back then, I would say I found myself going on to the path and the journey of, you know, Buddhism, you know, what is Buddhism? And there wasn't really much around in Belfast then or the north of Ireland or sort of in Ireland itself. So the good news for me was I was able then to make contacts with people outside of the island of Ireland who were Buddhist. Yeah, uh, I came across again, you know, the work of other great people, a guy called Heinz Kohut. and again, Heinz Kohut and the likes of Bessel van der Cup. Bessel van der Kup would be the guy who coined the phrase that the body keeps the score. Mm-hmm. Yeah? So with the body keeps the score, what he would talk about, would, he would talk about what's known as muscle memory. I mean muscle memory? So what happens is, you know, through the trauma, we find ourselves then beginning to the freeze. Yeah? And then, of course, you know, the, as he says, that the body keeps the score. But what about mindfulness? That's, that was the big sort of question for me. What is this thing called mindfulness? And I continued along. And I found myself then you know, following a great teacher who is based in a place called Jampoling, which is uh, in a place called Bon Boy, County Kevin. Uh, I came across him way back in sort of the 80s. Uh, and his name is Panchen Oterumashe. And he would be like a high lama within Tibetan Buddhism. So what I remember from our good friend Panchen Oterumashe was his presence. I mean, so it's something about his presence and being in his company that was for me, it was almost as if he was a radiator, right? You know, the sort of the, this warmth you know, emanated from him Because this is a Tibetan chap, right? Mm-hmm. Who had very little English. And uh, I mean, one time, this is a funny story, but one time he had me like a sort of an interpreter for him. And I remember him talking to a group of people and he was turning around and he was saying to them, he says, you know, it's like uh, the wrinkles on the water. It's like the wrinkles on the water, right? Mm-hmm. And they were looking, wondering, you know, is this some Tibetan story, the wrinkles on the water? You know, and they didn't know what do you mean when you say the wrinkles on the water, and he was sort of stuck for a word, but he sort of turned to me and he says, "Frank knows, right?" But I sort of remember that sort of imagery, and I says, "Waves," and he says, "Yes." So you know, the wrinkles <laughs> on the water, everything, like these waves, right? But what I what I remember about being in his presence was, you know, he had this sort of you know calming presence. You mean one where, you know, in my head there could be like a thousand stories going on, right? But when I was with him, the thousand stories, you know, you know, sort of withered away to maybe just one or two
0: so what I would say is um, and this is going to sound flattering so you can take it whatever you want but you have that kind of a vibe going off yourself there um, there's a, a couple of people that you would meet where it, the conversation or whatever way it goes you, uh, there's a sense of intrigue but I find the subject matter fascinating um, and whenever I met you for the first time at the Ramada um, I met you at that SMT training that, that we were doing, and and uh, with at the Aware organization. But 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 what I got from you was that that the, you listen. You're a deadly man for the listening, you know, and um, maybe not so much myself, but that does stand out in a very very noisy environment of life when things are going at a pace. If you can get somebody that got gets your attention, mm. and can sustain it, that's fairly important. I don't think that happens enough. You know, um, you would have that ability yourself, is what I'm trying to say, um. But going back to the joining dots, as as we would like to talk about, so you've moved from Ardoyne to, Cavan, to Bemburb to Cavan. So a lot of this has happened in Ireland at the time. You're not necessarily having to go off.
1: No Ardoyne here, West Belfast. West Belfast. Oh, I beg your pardon. I thought Llandard, it was North. Llandard, sorry. Clonard, No more. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Llandard, Nothing wrong. Ardoyne either. No, oh I'm what yes, saying. saying, oh Like, but yes, just right. Okay. I thought just, it was
0: North Belfast. I beg your pardon. Right. So. So West Belfast, Cavan.
1: West is the best.
0: West is the best. Um, Bambourg is even more West, oh. so there you go. So you got, But it's all happening in, in Ireland at the time. It's not, you don't have to get out. This is not happening in different continents or different countries. This is happening here.
1: Mm, this is happening here. And, uh, you know, and again, with the guidance, you know, of our good buddy, I was talking about Eamon McCreev. I mean, what I then discovered was, you know, about, you know, how I needed to wake up. How I needed to wake up. So, you know, there's Eamon, his background is within sort of the surveyed monks within the Christian tradition. And then suddenly here I am finding myself on this sort of Buddhist path. But, you know, when it comes to the practice of mindfulness, the practice of mindfulness, you know, would be, as I said, a core practice. But it would also be practiced through many traditions as well. And our good friend John kabat has been a more sort of secular, you know, for the age we're in at the moment. But, you know, for me, then the journey, you know, brought me then throughout Europe. And I was with the great teachers in Europe and uh, and then I returned again back to Belfast again. And then back in Belfast I found myself being attracted to doing you know work within community mental health and uh, with a great organisation called Threshold who were again radical, pioneering, way ahead of their time. This goes back now to the early 90s, 91, 92. And the work that Threshold were doing was that they were creating what was called therapeutic communities. And within the therapeutic community what happened was that you found that people... Who had no voice, yeah, or who were suffering by voices, like, yeah. suddenly discovered their voice. You know? Yeah, so that around that same time, right, I also found myself, you know, doing a lot of work with that chap. I was telling about, you know, Panchanoot and I opened up a centre at Belfast called Champa Belfast. That was way back in the '90s, and uh, that great teacher note Rimbache would then come up and do a series of talks, maybe. For like two or three months of the year how did you
0: find all this uh, when you're moving into either well religion has plays a very dominant role in those areas um where the greatest trauma is i suppose but it's a different kind of religion so how, how did that um how did, how did the communities accept this kind of witchcraft coming in? Because it's very strange for a lot of people.
1: Very good. Yeah, and uh, I mean, I think you're right too, you know, regarding sort of like, you know, that witchcraft or, you know, I mean, who's this guy with the People hordes. will consider
0: it even today as witchcraft. A oh, that's good. Not in, you're not in Palo Alto now, man. You're not in mm-hmm. West Coast, dude. This is not Nepal now, but mm-hmm. this is Belfast. And Belfast had a, a well scarred as a city. Like a,
1: um... Well, to be honest, Paul, I think, you know, uh, had a bit of a sort of... A, a decent sort of track record and was a bit of uh, for me a bit of you know a legacy of the work that i was doing in certain communities and you know within certain communities there's certain people who sort of watch within those communities too and i would have become what i would describe as probably a, a safe bet yeah, you know I mean? yeah. and then you know, i found myself getting involved in types of what we call like so sort of community community mediation work and again met up with great people who were doing great work with communities you know and who were suffering you know at that particular time uh and to this day, then it was still an element of suffering there as well. But I would say, probably as a player, you know, that uh, what happened, and maybe with having the likes of Eamon behind me too, that that gave me the, sort of the green light to go ahead yeah. and to continue to do what, what I was doing. You know, I also like had friends at that time who would probably thought, you know, more of the sort of the witchcraft and the, the woohoo uh, as to, you know, this will never sort of take off, this will never, you know, catch on. So remember. This will never take off, this will never catch on mindfulness away back in the sort of you know the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. I mean, and look where we are today. Yeah. You know, turn on here, turn on there, and you'll find mindfulness here and mindfulness there. But for me, I would say, you know, the, the benefits and the practice of mindfulness, you know, is the real sort of prescription for Belfast and for the North of Ireland, for the world, of course, for again addressing our own trauma. Mm-hmm. But just sort of like to continue with that sort of story, I would say that it was like around probably early nineties that we started up jumping in Belfast and uh, myself and a few other people then, you know, had sort of regular meetings and regular sort of teachings as well but the main thing was and I've said this to you many times, it was about developing your own daily practice. Yeah. I mean, that's the big thing. You know, and you know, out there you'll have Tom, Dick and Harry will say, no, you've got to do it this way or you've got to do it that way or you've got to do it another way. I mean, what I found from Pachano Grimaché was again, that kindness, that thoughtfulness, that compassion you know what I mean and it was almost like you know there 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 you know what I mean? yeah. it, for me it would be like you know slow down in order to go faster
0: yeah
1: yeah you've got to slow down in order to go faster so anyway uh, again I've always kept in contact with Eamon along the way too you know for great support and Eamon also then introduced me to other people who'd be working in the field of trauma and you know you know, you know yourself you know what I mean throughout Belfast whether it be trauma whether it be stress whatever it is you know I mean everybody wants to to have some ease some comfort I mean some relaxation you know from their daily stress then the good news for me was you know again through later on in the 90s was I came in contact with a great man called Paul Haller Paul Haller uh, has been the longest serving abbot in San Francisco Zen Center but Paul Haller came from the West which is the best you know he came from he yeah. came from the lower Falls right yeah. so this is about 1997 1998 and uh, I was contacted by Paul and a few other people. Uh, Paul you know, had left Belfast some 40, 45 years ago, uh, headed off, became a Buddhist monk uh, in Thailand, and then found himself you know, over in San Francisco uh, with the most prestigious center outside of Japan, which is the San Francisco Zen Center. And Paul you know, would have been the meditation master uh, in Tassajara, which, which is you know, another part of the, the San Francisco Zen Center. But anyway you know here we have this belfast man who's left about 45 years ago comes from the lower falls so here we have frankie liddy right if we're starting to join that that's up coming from the lower falls but doesn't go away right yeah. you know, more or less sort of stays you know in and around the sort of the planet area so anyway so it was 1997-1998 and uh so paul had asked if i could you know help him and the group he was over the time to set up a retreat now, what Paul's background was, again, he was looking at, you know, you know, I think it was called the way of peace, and it was a way of being able then to look at, you know, how can we reduce the stress, right? Just to, again, to free people up, right, from this sort of the chains of stress. I did that, but there was something about Paul Holler then that I connected with, and, uh, and it wasn't too long before I asked Paul, you know, whose background would be in the Zen tradition, that I'd asked Paul if I could be one of his students. And the good news is he said yes, and from him saying yes, we opened up a Zen center in Belfast way back in nineteen ninety eight, which is based in this area. Is it the, still the same place? Same place, wow. Black, the Black Mountain Zen Center yeah. opposite St Anne's Cathedral. Yeah. So you know, you know what a sort of a calibre you know to have Paul Haller, you know originally from Belfast, so he knows the psyche of mm-hmm. you know the Northern Irish. So here we have you know this man originally from Belfast, you know he's become a meditation master, right? He knows the lingo. He knows that sort of you know that sort of slippery psyche that we can have and uh, he's, he's then raised to the heights of being you know the longest serving abbot in san francisco's ed center i can tell you now paul that you mean doors open for me whenever i mention paul's name right yeah. in order to bring you know our interpretation and it would be our interpretation but when I say our interpretation to you, I would say it would be almost like, you know, the taste of the lagging come from the morns rather than come from outside here, at the docks. Do you mean? Yeah, yeah. so
0: and and, the, and I, I totally get that. And one of the things that, that I'm conscious of is that with the journey we in this conversation for the last twenty minutes or so, we've we've gone from uh, familiar landmarks and perhaps some people. People may be aware of the survived priory, they may be aware of Eamon, they may be aware very aware of the falls and the west and everything else, and then all of a sudden it's Zen and it's Zen master and it's Buddhism and it's San Francisco and all of a sudden that's out there and it's not really, you have to almost humanize the whole thing because it does, um, it can get very, very deep and the, the, the challenge for for people and the reason that I would want to talk to you about this Frank is that I think it's so, so important for people who are working in a work environment and a professional environment to be aware of what can go on you know, it's this awareness, self-awareness, awareness of the people they're working with, awareness of the working environments and, and applying something to that to fix it before it gets broken really badly because you're not gonna work effectively. You're not gonna be able to manage people effectively unless you take it easy and calm the whole thing down a little bit. Um, so sorry, I just come back to that journey? Paul, is, I met Paul last year. You did? So he comes over fairly frequently to Belfast.
1: Uh, twice a year, usually like around April into May and August. He's here at the moment into uh, September uh so you know that was his commitment to to black mountains dance center away way back as as early as sort of 1998 so well we're coming up to like 19 20 years of, of his returning wow. twice a year uh which was, you know a great support but also you know the support that he's re- received as well i mean uh he was given under the murder time Martian meter he would given the sort of an ambassador to the city uh but i mean i'd say that there you know paul's made great contacts within you know uh, the corporate society within you know the public health agency within the trust society whatever uh, again you know because of the quality and i think i have to go back here to the quality of practice i mean yeah so it's not about you know just sit there and do a b c right it's more about and paul has that sort of way right of being able then to hold people to contain people right in a way that it makes it so easy yeah right? uh, a bit like yourself taken to practice as well i mean you know, there's something about, you know, how it's delivered, you know, in such a way, because we all know that mindfulness itself comes from insight, which comes from intuition. So I know that through sort of the gift of mindfulness practice, we are given what I would describe as uh, a mindful sort of language, which being be an insightful language, so that you're able to pitch the language to the person or yeah. to the group, you know, in a way that they're able then to receive it. So it's been able then to join the dots and to demystify what we think it is or how it should be. <laughs>
0: I, yeah, and so for the people listening, just that um, my introduction, which I mentioned in the the previous podcast, my introduction to mindfulness um, was purely by chance. I wasn't looking for anything. I was I genuinely had a sense of intrigue, and I am, you know, I I I'm very interested in in this space and 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 sales training and the brand consultancy and the stuff that I do. I think it's, the awareness is critical because you're working in a business and you think you're, you know, ten out of ten, and really that's a a very very uh, self-centred view of the world you live in because people on the outside may not vote you 10 out of 10, but at least if you're aware that they have a vote that's different to yours so you can do something about it. So I was looking at it from that kind of perspective. And whenever we went to the Ramada um, last June, I think it was, the the disparity and diversity of people in the room, there might only have been 10 or 12 of us, you would know the numbers exactly and you'd know the names because that's just what you do, right? You're a deadly man for remembering names and, and big groups is quite extraordinary. But you have... Um, people who are working with um underprivileged children you have people who are working with abused children you have people who are working with uh uh, all sorts of different people um who are there for a variety of different reasons and every one of them the you they were able to relate to what you were saying you didn't have to have a set of instructions or, or subtitles for some people in the group it was at a very very uh easy to understand level and i think that's really important to get across that this is not some kind of Mysticism that takes place, you can only understand it with twenty years of you never get to fully understand it, I suppose, do you?
1: I believe so yeah, I believe so, and I suppose for me, Paul too, you know the gift of mindfulness practice is a way of befriending ourselves I mean I think so a lot of people you know, try to put it out there to be this or to be that or to be the other, but for me, I mean it's simply a way of befriending ourselves. I think I said to you before, if I was walking down Royal Avenue not too far from here, and someone was walking behind me telling me the things that I tell myself at phone for the police in Redland do you know what I mean yep. <laughs> yep and I also know that you know with any room wherever I am there is nobody in that room could give me a harder time than what I could give me but I'm also aware that that's also the voice of trauma I'm also aware that I know whenever that voice is around is what's happening is I'm stressed it's almost as if my volume control is 10 plus yep Yeah. yep so the something about, you know, through mindfulness practice is what happens is we're then able, right, to enable ourselves to turn the volume control down. It's almost as if we have forgotten, I mean, that we have, you know, choice that we can do this. So through mindfulness practice, what we now know through the world of neuroscience, I mean, which has been the greatest support for like to uh, to give mindfulness the hallmark that it has today, you know, for working with a variety of difficulties. But for me, what happens is that through mindfulness practice, that we're then able to apply what's called the parasympathetic nervous system, which is a way for able then to bring the mind home to go into what they would describe as rest and digest. And the truth be told, Paul, we all know within ourselves, no matter where we are, whenever we reach that place. It's almost as if like we have this internal compass, and the internal compass could be off two or three degrees from our true nature. Mm-hmm. Yeah? But there's something about, through the practice of mindfulness, then what happens is we're then able then to recalibrate the compass, and in doing so, we find ourselves come back into the zone where which you know for me would be an effortless place. You know, it is what it is, and we do what we have to do to the best of our ability. One of the things that we talked about earlier on before you know the podcast is you know, we learn how to respond rather than react. Yeah. How do we do that? We discover what's described as a breathing space, and within that breathing space, what happens is we're then able then to join the dots and we then know that we have a choice and the choice is do i react as in put out the fire with gasoline yeah or do i respond and respond could be by saying nothing and you know what i know that saying nothing could be saying a lot yeah yeah? so there's something about you know being able then to empower ourselves right with the knowledge that we know what to do and we know how to do it and we just do it
0: yeah the um Again, going back to what we talked before, my my, uh, one of the um, very influential person I suppose in my life would have been my mother and my father, but my mother was around for longer, I suppose, and she had greater influence, probably just simply because she was around for longer, but I think also in the way she thought. She always talked about being cool, calm and collected. She always said the three C's, you gotta just take it easy. You know, it's about composure and it's about being calm. And she she was um, worked in a medical environment, you know, and it was important that in a medical environment if she is the authority figure like she can't be seen to panic you can't be seen to panic in any I guess but you have to be in control you have to calm down and you have to be really cool about it and that was a lesson that I, note, I noticed that I probably failed to, to embrace consistently myself but certainly in mindfulness is that calmness that you're sort of taking it easy on yourself first of all it's a very good starting point is to take it easy on yourself mm-hmm.
1: it sure is and I think also uh, before the programme we're talking to about a lady I mentioned a few names: Bessel Van Der cup the guy who quoted uh, that the body keeps the score. Uh, Heinz Kohut would be another sort of leading light within the world of trauma. And a lady who I would recommend your listeners to to tune into is a lady called Babette Rothschild. Yeah, and again, Babette Rothschild, you know, has this way of you know working with people who've been traumatized. Now we're talking here about people who've been severely traumatized. So we look at that sort of spectrum of stress. So we have like you know everyday type of stress over here, right? And then we have that trauma. And Babette does great work with people who have experienced what we call severe trauma, PTSD, etc. But what she would say, Babette would say is, you know, the first sort of tool that people need to use would be mindfulness practice, yeah? she should also recommend that people do this here, you know, daily for like a period of time. Because we now know that there is two guys within us and they're called the amygdala, right? And the amygdala would be like a Greek word for uh, walnut, because it's like the size of a walnut. But the amygdala, you know, whenever we're stressed, would be, you know, at full size. But there's something that happens, we might know through neuroscience, what happens is that whenever we practice, the amygdala begins to shrink. What's that like for the listener? I would say that if you can imagine that whenever I'm stressed, up goes my antennae, and my antennae goes into fight, flight, freeze, collapse, Yep. And then it's almost as if I feel good with my antennae up because whenever my antennae up, I sort of feel as if I'm being protected. Yeah. But then there's a period where I don't need to be protected and I still have my antennae up. So what happens is through the practice of mindfulness, we then discover that my antennae is up when it should be down because there is a time and place for that. And what happens is through practices, the antennae is able to come down and we go from fight, flight, freeze, collapse into what's called rest and digest. And in that rest and digest, I would say we find that we begin to nurture ourselves. And within that rest and digest, what we discover now is, and I believe it's to be true, and that is we wake up. We wake up through insight. Because, you know, the heart of mindfulness practice would be insight. So what happens is I start to see that I am doing A, B, and C, and wanting to get A without going through D. You know, looking for shortcuts or whatever. Yeah. Yep. So it appears to me that you know, the insight then joins the dots. You know, in a way that we know what to do and we know how to do it and we just do it. So that sort of uncertainty of should I, should I not, will I, will I not, can I, can I not, yep, yeah? you know, that appears to melt the way like snow of a ditch or the way but that, which I would put it, would be, you know, working with, say, the bottle of Coke. I, met, I know she also described working with a bottle of Coke and she gave it a good shake, yep, yeah? and she says that's like working with the person and what you need to do is, you know, open the lid a bit, close it open it again a bit and then close it open and close and open and close yeah and for me whenever we sit down to practice it's almost as if the practice allows that lid to be lifted yep and then the pressure released and then in doing so we find ourselves becoming calmer we find ourselves becoming more confident and more confident and for me i think what we do discover is we decide, we find ourselves becoming more awake more aware and more alert and more alive and one of the things you touched on earlier too, which I believe to be true, is it's that authenticity. The authenticity in that I know what I'm doing. Yeah? I know when I'm saying yes that I totally mean yes. And I know when I'm saying no that I totally mean no. Yeah. yeah? That I'm not caught up in sort of, you know, beating up myself up by saying I should have said yes when I said no. But you know what you do and you do what you have to do. Another quote that we talked about just before the programme. You know, and I would say probably this would be the heart of mindfulness practice. It's about being able then to forgive ourselves, yeah? and then in doing so, we become freed up. I remember that sort of quote: "Forgiveness is abandoning hope for a better past." Yeah? And when what we find is, you know, through our practices, the past is the past. Yeah, but what we discover is we're in the present, right here, right now, in the zone. Yeah? and then whoever you know practices whatever freedom they're in. I mean. You know I do a lot of work with people who be involved as counselors and people who be involved as therapists. And as you know, I'm doing great work, uh, with an organization who employed me uh, called Aware. You know Aware to feed depression who, work with people you know who be depressed. You know a mindfulness practice you know would sit like a glove to the hand. Mm-hmm. You know because you know of the likes of saying next guidelines who then you know, inform us that mindfulness practice you know you know works for these guys. Yep. So there's something for me then, Paul, about that through practice we're then able to bring the mind home, you know, in whatever field of work we're doing. You know, whether it be the therapist, whether it be the counsellor, whether it be the guy in the street, what happens is we start to feel better, and then in feeling better, right, for me that would be the way of befriending ourselves, and then through befriending ourselves, we're then able then to befriend others.
0: That's a... Um, yeah, I I would get that completely. I totally understand that. Um, I, I totally... That's not... Strictly true that I understand it. I, I, I empathise with the sentiment. Like, uh, but I don't fully understand it, and I and I'm intrigued enough to want to understand it. But the the a lot of the stuff that you're saying. And a lot of the language, and we had mentioned this many times before, Frank. Is that the word depression, mm-hmm. is is like a, I spoke at that uh, launch of the paper down in Stormont. And I, I think one of the things I said at the time was that the word depression could do with a rebrand because it's associated with all the stuff that we're not familiar with. It's associated with Sh, don't talk about that. And, that and we need to stop not mm-hmm. talking about it because um, it's there's a, a couple of friends of mine from the Moy went down to uh, Curry on a cycle for suicide and one of the guys who's organizing it, he won't mind me saying this because he, his son posted uh, something just the most extraordinary piece of writing on Facebook the other day um, I'm kind of battling with the idea of giving you his name he, he wrote it basically saying um, my father and all our friends are doing this cycle but I want to say that I suffer from depression and the way he talked about it was just wonderful. And the bravery. And the fact that we even consider that brave is wrong. That mm. should be just normal that somebody can say that. Mm. The, the 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 society we live in at the minute is people running around going to the gym for an inordinate amount of time to look good, to take pictures of themselves, to show everybody how great they are on the outside. But if you were to take pictures of what it's like on the inside, it would be a horror show. Mm. And that's where all the good work can be done. And because the two words that, that set me off on that rant were feeling better mm. and the definition of feeling better is is a it's a variable, like it's not fixed for everybody and it's very subjective. But ultimately you can't feel better in your totality unless your head is right. And unless you're at peace with your past and you're at peace with the journey for the future. And I can say this from a position of real strength. Like I, I, I have battles like, you know, with a the battles with the past and battles with the future because I think they're battles worth fighting, but they're not. Because you've no control over either. You can influence the future, but you've no control over the past. But the notion of feeling better is is something that everybody needs to consider. So it's not a, if you find your peace in your place at the church on a Saturday morning for three or four hours, knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. And if you find it digging the spugs, spuds in the backyard, and if you find it eating the spuds, mm-hmm. then knock yourself out. Mm-hmm. Um, but your, your responsibility to yourself is to feel as good as you can. Mm-hmm. So this stuff is logical. It's an option for people. It's an opportunity at work. It's something that people should consider. I I would be um, a massive fan of the idea that that you know you kind of owe it to yourself to feel better. Mindfulness definitely helps. I mm-hmm.
1: Like that uh, that image too of the gym. As you say, you know a lot of people go to the gym. You know, to keep fit, etc. Which is great. You know, keep going to the gym, keep doing the exercise. But it's not about yes, you talk about the internal world, and it's not about you know the mind as a muscle. You know, Completely. and do we exercise the mind? And I think you know, to be honest, that we don't really. I remember a friend of mine over from San Francisco earlier on this year that he turned and he said that uh, that he had heard from a, like a Buddhist sort of psychology is that the mind is just another sense. Thoughts are to the mind what the smell of a flower is to the sense of smell. Yeah. 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 So you know, for me, I like that, and for me, what I also became aware of too was you know that this this mind. Right, this muscle right, needs to be exercised so for me it would be that internal gym I mean, can Frankie meet Frankie right. can Frankie sit with Frankie uh, there's a poem by a guy called Derek Walcott called Love After Love where he says the time will come when with a leash, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror and each will smile at the other's welcome and say sit here and feast on your life sit here and feast on your yeah. life I love that poem you know and for me, he sort of captures mindfulness practice, you know, and I find that, you know, for most people, you know, who've done the courses, uh, they the feedback from them is that they're able to sleep better. I mean, that's a big one, that is, you know, that people are able to go to bed, right, and have a good night's sleep and wake up refreshed for their day.
0: So the, the, the idea, going back on that idea, so everybody um that's listening to this is, you know, you're getting, I changed my thinking on, on, on exercise um, through a, another friend of mine who has changed his life doing some incredible things um, and has exposed me to different authors and writers. Uh, one book in particular being the China study where they talk about a plant-based diet is just a um, plant-based diet um, the rates of cancer and the rates of MS and other diseases caused directly by eating meat uh, the way meat is Processed, etc., but dairy and all that sort of stuff. But there's a lot of things that you'll put into the mix. So it's your physical well-being, your mental well-being. But if you go to the gym, you're spending fifteen, twenty pounds a week, or thirty pounds a month, or whatever, you know. And if you say to somebody, "Okay, so for the same amount of money, your head will be in a better place." What do you say? <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. it's just logical. Mm-hmm. Like it just makes a lot of sense. But there seems to be some kind of uh, societal resistance to talking about what's going on in your head. Yeah. You know, don't talk about that. That depression thing don't, don't, don't mention that because the alternative to depression is suicide, mm-hmm. right I'll either not talk about it or I'll just do this. Mm-hmm. So it's important to talk about it that you know that would be one of the things, but I don't think we're necessarily as a society as open and as willing to hear maybe. all the people I, I agree should. with
1: you: I agree with you And I, anyway, I find that you know for me, you know, it's about being able then to find our own voice: I remember uh, Paul Hallard told a story, and the story goes it was about an orphan land cup. And the orphan land cub was brought up with a flock of sheep up in the cave hill. And the orphan land cub was able to go about the field going ba, 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 all day long. And then one day an old land comes into the field and the flock of sheep goes right, lads get offside. Off goes the flock of sheep, as does the orphan land cub as it runs going ba, 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 ba. The old land grabs the Land cub by the mane and says, Hey boy, what are you doing? The land cub rolls over, looks up and goes ba 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 The old land then takes the land cub to lake and says, Look, the land cub looks in the lake and he lets out a roar.
0: And that was all in the Cave Hill.
1: was all the cave hilt
0: <laughs> Some spot.
1: It let out a roar. Yeah. So I mean I would say that to people, you know, what happened? You know, even for your listener too, you know, just take a moment to think, what happened? The land cub looked into the lake and he let out a roar. And the feedback that you get from groups is, you know, I'm glad to hear, is that the land cub found his voice. Yeah. So it's not about the practice of mindfulness, right, is a way then for us to find our voice. Because you know that the voices within us that drive us to turn and say, we're not good enough, we can't do this, you know, the sort of internal saboteur, or, you know, the voices that, you know, are quite harsh on us. I mean, again, that, you mean, you got to do more or whatever, you know, what happens is through practice, going back to authenticity, is that people discover their voice, yeah, and in doing so, discover their authenticity.
0: I I really, really think that authentic, being authentic is so important, you know. Um, it is a, you know, it's, it's very, very much underrated as a characteristic, a human characteristic, you know. I think it's really, really important. And some of the idle chit-chat that goes on, Internally, um, and the internal conflict that's created by by doubt and by thinking about things that have gone on in the past can hold you back from a really really brilliant present. Never mind a really brilliant future. That the the, the I would apply that stuff to thinking about salespeople. Salespeople who get in, in training sessions, it kind of freaks them out a bit because they're not expecting this kind of chat. They don't really want to talk about it. They just want to talk about, I ah, but how do you close the deal?" Like it's mm-hmm. it's you get four or five sales in a row that don't work out. You just start doubting your own capability and you doubt. their own veracity of your efforts. And and as long as you're authentic and you're putting the work in and you have resilience and sort of grit and determination and fight the chat in your head, you know, call it ghosting where you make a phone call and you make a phone call two or three times, and the third time you're thinking the person's avoiding you. So you're you know you're not into telepathy. You now <laughs> know they're avoiding you. They might have been on holiday. They might have had a car accident. They might be talking to somebody else. They might be talking to somebody else positively about you. Mm-hmm. But you're going, I can't believe they're not answering that phone. That's mm-hmm. re- how dare they? Like I mean, I do not know why do they not want to talk to me. I'm in business, and if you can control and compose that self chat and in sales, instead of worrying about what that guy is or isn't doing, you move on to the next call. You become more productive. You find your selling is 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 more. Uh, uh, you know, there's, there's, there's greater uh, traction to what you're doing because you're getting through greater numbers. And before you know it, the fellow you thought was avoiding you called you back and says, Yeah, I'll have two of those, please. Mm-hmm. You know, and trying to try and apply all this to business because I think outside of the working environment, th- it's a given that this is important, mm-hmm. you know. But you're doing a lot of work at the minute with a lot of professional organizations. You're getting taken in at a very high level of a variety of different organizations.
1: Mm-hmm. I am indeed. And, uh, you know, thankfully, again, I think that comes back you know, from the years of practice, uh that, as I said before, like, you know, with the likes of, say, Paul Haller, I mean, that certain doors have opened, you know, because, you know, it would be the credibility of the practice as well. But also, I think it's about, you know, how easy it is to practice. You mean, so for the listener, too, you know, I mean, you know, sometimes we think, I mean, oh, well, I couldn't do that. You mean, that doesn't apply to me. But, you know, the research is there, the evidence is there, you know, that we all can practice. What happens is we let go of the idea of what practice is. Yeah,
0: that's right. Yeah. I I would have practiced quite a lot after the course last year. I found it very very cathartic. Like I, I I would still, I think it's brilliant. Um, as a as a means to just sent being centered and getting your getting your shit together, like it's really really beneficial. But I have sacrificed it, when time gets short in your day and you're behind schedule. I'd sacrifice my mental well-being for, uh. Something else completely that has no long term benefit, no short term benefit, no medium term benefit, just nothing. And it's about prioritizing it. And I think one of the things that, when you do it, when you get back into that, and you be, you make it become a habit, like the benefit is is very evident. I know some people, too, Frank, that that are, are say they go to mass mm-hmm. on a Sunday, and they say they just go to meditate on it for an hour a Sunday. It's not a bad way to be. It's a great way to be. I mean,
1: and for I mean for everybody wherever they are, whatever they're doing. You know, I think what happens is we start to discover that people are where they are because that's where they need to be. I suppose for me in my life, what I was looking at was you mean, you know, I was wondering what was cooking for me at that time. You mean, because what was going on inside and what was going on outside didn't sort of sync up. You mean, it was out of sync. So it was this sort of, you know, for me, it would be described as this type of sort of incongruence in, in my life. You know, and then through practice, you mean, and the benefits of practice, and of course the research there to endorse the benefits of practice, you know, it's about. The ability to bring the mind home, I mean, and we do, as you just pointed out earlier on, we do set aside time a day to take care of ourselves. You know, our physical needs, our emotional needs, etc., etc., etc. You know, being able to go to the gym, and then most of all, being able then to see another, I mean, and to greet the other with a smile, mm-hmm. knowing that everyone we meet suffers. Yeah.
0: So yeah, that's a that's a quite a, an arresting moment. Everybody. Everybody has their stuff to deal with. Everybody just seems to deal with it better, memory than you. Maybe that's the view, isn't it? That
1: well, that's the story we tell ourselves. Yeah, of course, exactly. Yeah, you know, yeah. His life's better than mine. Yeah. But there's something about that voice of his life's better than mine, you know, gets stripped away, right? Yeah. And then I think you mentioned it, which I thought was beautiful too, was that you start to see the sun shine. You start to notice, you, know, you start to notice, you know, the beautiful buildings around us. You start to notice, you know, when you're out walking in the countryside, you know, the grass, you know, when you start to look at the trees, you start to you know, hear the bleating of the sheep, you start to hear the bird song, You know, we become alive. The great uh, John Kavitson, you know, sort of captured it nicely too, when he says that we come to our senses, you know, sight, sound, smell, touch and taste. But for me, the big one is, of course, insight. That would yeah. be the one for me, because that to me is, you know, that gut reaction. And we all know what that gut reaction is whenever we meet another so for me, then the practice of mindfulness has a way then of strengthening that gut reaction to put us, you know, put that sort of that little pointer on the compass back to our true nature.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very uh, that is very interesting. Yeah, I think that um a example of that. I I would be a big fan of Mullaghmore, uh, County Sligo, and the view over Ben Benbulbin and the peninsula around um, the village itself. And I remember last summer driving up just to get up there to have get the annual pilgrimage done and the walk round, and I rushed up and I just I had to remind myself like you you know you enjoy these moments what are you what's why are you rushing I And mean, you just pull the car over and take a sit down and go for a walk it just changes your view of the whole place it just it, everything becomes accentuated you know the beauty of the place the ruggedness of it all just changes you know mm-hmm. and you could just drive around and think well that was good and I'm away again you know and it's about slowing down taking it easy and just that cool camera collected thing is Something you can you can apply to everything. Well, you, you, know, kind of did, you can apply yeah. to everything. Are there any courses on at the minute, Frank, that you think that, that would benefit people that that they should be mm-hmm. uh, getting in touch with you directly on because this is um, I would be evangelical about what you do and I think that it, it, it's it's a I would highly recommend even the course that I did last year to everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, but is there anything going on at the minute that you'd Thank want you.
1: to? uh there's a lot going on at the minute. Uh, there's a lot going on at the minute. You know, throughout the uh, the North of Ireland. You know, for the listener, what I would say would be to contact the organisation Aware, yeah, uh, to go onto the website, and I'm sure you could maybe put that for the listeners at the end. You know, uh, so that would be contact Aware, and if you go onto Aware's website page, you know, you'll also discover there, you know, what's taking place. Uh, there's also the Aware uh, Twitter page and the Aware Facebook page, so there's lots of information out there as to. You know, who to contact, when to contact, and what's happening. And I just see that Paul's brought up on the screen now.
0: So it's the the web address is aware hyphen ni.org. Um and there's a section there, you're you're in the homepage there, Frank. There's a section on wellbeing programs and mindfulness. So it's um a you know that'd be a fairly good starting point, right? And the the Twitter account is I'm just trying to get that up now. The Twitter account is aware-ni at aware-ni so aware-ni.org for the website and aware-ni at awareni is the handle on Twitter. So that's a good place to start. That's the best place to start. If you're um, if you're if you're a senior level manager if you're a, a, somebody who's running their own business now um, what would you suggest that they do? Is this something that well I know that is. is something that you would want to get involved in within companies to talk to senior mani- ma- uh, managers and directors and sea level executives because, they're thinking, the way they think and their composure is very important to the well being of their business, the organisation, the company. Politicians, bankers mm. would all benefit. Mm. How do you um, how, what what services do you offer that sector? Do you work with companies directly?
1: Uh, do indeed, and uh, again, the good news is you mean like throughout the north of Ireland, I mean. Banks, you know, corporates, etc., you know, have all availed of the service, and the service will be designed to the need of the organisation. I can understand too that a lot of organisations be under a lot of pressure regarding time for staff. So you know, as an organisation, we're able then to develop a bespoke program in order to suit their needs.
0: Okay, um, it is. It's important to understand that this is not just like a. It's, a, it's not a bandage, is it? Like it's not. Um, again, you go to businesses, whoever. Um, You've got health insurance. You've got, a uh, you can buy bikes now free because or get uh, deductions or reductions in the price of a bike through the company bike policy. That means you're going to be healthier when you come to work, and it's only really logical that you would uh, have something that would help people with the way they, they think throughout the day. I think it's very logical.
1: Very logical indeed. I and mean, one of the benefits of companies, you know, uh, bringing mindfulness in for the employees, it would be the interpersonal, you know, interpersonal sort of skills that are developed. Through through practice as well, because suddenly you know those sort of ideas. And you talked earlier on about the filters. I mean, suddenly then those filters are removed, and then we discover that you know Joe Blogs is Joe Blogs, not who we think Joe Blogs is.
0: Yeah, uh, that's very that's very true. Yeah, there's a lot of lot of stuff um, to to think about there. Um, you talk about it been easy to practice. You practice for an hour a day. You told me you practice for an hour a day minimum. I think you do more than that occasionally, don't you? Occasionally, well? yeah. yeah. Um, when we did the course you start off with 5 minutes, 10 minutes, 20 minutes and then whatever you get the time for. But you can practice it, you can practice it when you're walking, you can mm-hmm. practice it. Talk a bit about that, the 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 different methods of it. Very good. Uh, I think what
1: happens then Paul, I'm sure you found it on the course too, I mean that once we start to practice that then we discover that everything is practice. I mean there's always an opportunity to practice. Uh, I would suggest you know at the beginning like for people to practice say for five or ten minutes and to build that up to 20 minutes. I mean what we sort of know now through neuroscience is you know that after sort of like 18 minutes of practice then the neural pathways begin to change. Yeah? So you know we're not hardwired. What happens is through practice then you know the neurons fire and rewire and then we start to see things differently. We start to you know become more awake and more aware and more alert. So I would say for the listener you know to sign up to your course. You know, to do the six weeks, and within that sort of six weeks, then what happens is, you know, week by week by week by week, build the build blocks are there to develop an individual's, you know, daily practice. And I can understand, too, different people with different backgrounds, different stresses, what's going on in their life. But what happens is, you know, and I'm, I know you've talked about it before, too, and everybody in the courses as well, what happens is we start to sort of wake up. We start to sort of see, I mean, you know, what we're doing and what we shouldn't be doing. And then the good news is what we shouldn't be doing, we just sort of leave that behind. And then it's for me, you know the heart of mindfulness practice is called beginner's mind, You mean know, in the beginner's mind, there are many possibilities, in the expert's mind there are a few. so it's something about you know through our practice, then you know it's always beginning, it's always a new day, you know, so what's happening right here right now? So that sort of resentment of the past, you mean, as you talked about the ghosting on the phone, yeah, so what happens is it is what it is, that call is what is what that call is, but each call would be like the first call,
0: yeah. And that that, um, that takes a bit of thinking about and it takes a bit of practice, but it makes so much sense because it is about the now. It's about what, the, you know, if you're putting it in the context of business, you know, it is about making that call the best it can be. And you can't really do that if you're thinking with anxiety about how bad the previous one was and you still got baggage about, is that guy not calling me back? And mm-hmm. is that proposal I sent out um, going to be any better? Because when you eventually get through, to that person, they want you to be fully present with them. Mm-hmm. They don't, so you ruin two calls mm-hmm. and you'll ruin yourself for the third call and so it goes. So it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy and if you just, it is what it is and you move on and you're doing the best you can then who knows what will happen but you've got so much more control over the outcome.
1: Plus through our practice then Paul what we also discover is it's all learning. Yeah. I mean, and you talked about it earlier on like you I mean, so it's not as if we're going to get to a place you I mean we're already in the place. Yeah, so for me that through practice we discover that everything is practice and it's all learning so that call that you make you know it's like the first call and you are the best Paul on that call because you are present and the listener of course picks up on your presence as well well without a doubt it's um
0: the the importance of that day um the Daniel Goldman and emotional intelligence about empathetic listening mm-hmm. um, and in business. Certainly, my understanding and my view of it is that if you can fully understand the needs of um, the other person, that's a, it's as uh, important in selling as it is in any kind of interpersonal relationship. And that quote from Cicero um, about marketing I think I mentioned it the last time. If you can listen to my thoughts and see from my eyes, and that everybody wants to be understood, yes. you know. I want you to understand my pain, mm-hmm. so don't be telling me all about you, <laughs> you know. So if you can do that, if you can get that a bit of emotional intelligence, I uh, plugged into the whole thing, you'd be more productive, you'd be more successful, you actually be more contented as well because you find the job less stressful and easier, and mm-hmm. it all it all works together. Frank, I, I've I've taken up about two hours of this man's time today, and we've only got fifty three minutes of it recorded, but. Um, I think it's deadly, and it's, if it's very selfish, then I'm happy with that. Like I'm, whether the people listen to it, get anything out of it or not, is a secondary thing for me because I really enjoyed that. But I know that from the the feedback we had from the first session, um, I, on podcast Frank that the interest out there is is very strong. People are aware about trying to live a better life. You know, it's that old quote. You know, the Marcus Aurelius thing. You know, is your job is to be to, to, to live a good life. You know, and you're emotional and. Uh, mental well being is really really important to make that happen. So thank you very much. Um maybe get you back in again at some point.
1: I look forward to that Paul and thank you to all the
0: listeners for listening. And um I'm going to uh, sign off just to remind you that the point of contact for Frank um is aware org. When I say a point of contact you can think as a personal, you can think as somebody who you know might be interested in this or could avail of it. You could think of your business environment, so either your managers or as a manager yourself, how can this be applied to our business to make the working environment better for everybody? Um, I think that even as a conversation with that organisation, this uh, Siobhan Doherty is the CEO, who's a uh, a fantastic person, who's run a brilliant organisation, who do some deadly work. If you can get your head around um, the idea that depression is what it is, um, you know if you don't suffer from it fair play to you if you know somebody that does suffer from it then have a bit of consideration and understanding Um, and if you think that you can to apply this logic to your business you would be a fool not to so thanks very much for joining Frank and myself and I'll be back to you again soon so Frank thank you thank you Paul thank you listeners